When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking. Every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevnik. Welcome to Creek Devil. Welcome to the Q&A, everyone. We have TW with us today, and Milo's here. Uh, Forrest, you have an update. Would you like to share that with us? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I had a peculiar little situation occur last night, um, and it was peculiar. Um, as you all know, I um, have maintained cat houses for my uh, uh, cats, and every night I put up my cats and one that sits just right outside my uh, front door about 20 feet within the the, the fenced backyard and um, I had put all the kitties up that go in there and then I have about a half a dozen that uh, actually stay out that refuse to go in the cat house and they actually stay hang out on the back porch well anyway um, I get all the cats up that go in and I lock them up and the handle on this uh, particular cat house, it's a flip type handle, but the in- interior latch actually fits inside a um, piece of wood. So the cats can't, from the inside, initiate opening the, uh, the building at all. It has to be done from the outside. So anyway, they were securely in, and I go around the end of the house, and I'm going up to the back porch, and I always put soft food out and uh, dry food for the cats outside on the back porch. And I always put enough because I have a pet raccoon. Uh, I actually have a a couple of feral cats that I don't know where they came from, but they hang out and I feed them too and uh, possums and all that. So anyway, I put the the soft food out first. They're eating that. I walk back in the house to get uh, dry cat food. And I grab a couple scoops of that, come back out, put it in their pan. And all of a sudden, I'm like looking and I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? I've got cats that were in the cat house now sitting on the back porch. And I'm like, wait a minute. I know I closed that up good. What are you guys doing out here? So I walk about now. It's it's dark now. Um, because I usually put them up about 8.30, and of course 8.30 here to 9 o'clock, <clears throat> between that time when I'm putting them up, it's still, t- uh, it's kind of twilighty here in Texas. So I don't feel uncomfortable about doing that. So anyway, I'm seeing these cats that are supposed to be in the uh, cat house that are hanging out on the back porch now. So I'm like, 
okay, I grab them up and I walk around the corner and I see more cats sitting out there in front of the cat house. And I'm like, this is just weird because I know I shut that door. So I'm like rounding up the guys that I can catch. And of course, quite a few of them scattered. They're like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going back in, mom. And so I grabbed up the ones that I could and I am closing up the door. And about that time, I noticed that on the end of the, uh, the other end of the uh, trailer, the motion light comes on. And that's the one towards the, where, you know, where the circles that we, I sent you pictures from where they, we found that, you know, and it's all heavy cedar in there. Well, I'm like, okay, I'm going in. So I made sure that the latch was secure again. And I go back around the other way and I'm heading in the house. And it took me probably between that time and around to the back porch, probably a good past 30 seconds. I'm going to say 30 to 40 seconds. And that light normally stays on about 30 seconds. It has to be initiated by something being there. And I think I've told y'all before that it's set so that it, a cat or a dog or even one, you know, if my raccoon walks by there and she's pretty hefty gal, uh, they're not going to cause that to come on. And so here I go, it's still on. I'm like, okay, something is still down there that's causing that light to remain on. And you know what? I'm not going to go down there to find out. So I walked in the door. And so I came into the bedroom and I thought, you know, I'm going to grab the 30-06 and I'm going to be real brave. So I grabbed the 30-06 and I walked out on the, the porch. Now the light has now gone off, but I have in the backyard, I saved some really big cedars that I have been working on trimming up the um, bottom, you know, those sucker limbs that come off the bottom so that they will actually look like real trees. And I can have a little picnic area, a shaded picnic area out there. And, but it's, it's dark at night in there and you can't really see those darn cedars. You just can't see in there, even in the ones that I maintain in the backyard. And so I'm well, well aware of whatever that had initiated that light is in my backyard at some place, some point. And so I take my 30 out six, like I'm big bad mama here, you know, and I hit the, the stock on the, the back porch railing. And I said, whoever's out here, you better get out of here because I will shoot and I will shoot to kill. And yeah, we're allowed to do that here in Texas, if they're on your property uh, and you feel threatened. So, um, I thought, okay, I've been big and brave. I'm now going back in the house. And I shut and locked the door good, made sure all the windows and stuff were secure on that end of the house, and I came into my bedroom. And about that time, Chuck calls me. And I'm sitting there, and I related the incident to Chuck because now I'm thinking in my mind, guys, that it's it was a human. Even though I was... I was kind of trying to justify why in the heck would, you know, somebody come over here to my property, go into the backyard. Now, granted, I, the guy didn't finish my gate, but my car is parked there in, uh, in the area where the gate is. And it's, it's open, yes. 
but why would somebody come into this yard with a six foot high fence and open up my cat house? I guess I was trying to justify that to myself. But anyway, I relate the incident to Chuck and he promptly tells me, he says, Forrest, I don't think it was a, a human. Why would a human do that? And I'm like, don't be telling me that, Chuck. Come on. You know, I hadn't had any problems here and <laughs> I was perfectly happy. And he thinks that it might possibly have been a juvenile just messing with me. So I'm throwing it in your guys' laps. Y'all tell me what you think. <laughs> I'm with Chuck. That was my question. Why would, what purpose would a person have to go and open up? I mean, if they're a Texan and they know what the law is to go on somebody's property and open it up, uh, you know, for, for what, you know, what's, what's the return on investment? What's the payoff? Well, TW, what do you think you're, you're a police officer in Texas? Uh, Well, um, that's somewhat true what Forrest said. Uh, the, the penal code about trespass is, is pretty distinct. You got to have, uh, in order to use lethal force, has to be 30 minutes prior to sunset, 30 minutes after sunrise, in order to use lethal force. It sounds like she's, she's met that criteria. Uh, just because somebody's on your property, you can't just shoot them. Trust me, that'll get you a world of hurt in a in a grand jury. Um, but uh, if you believe that that person is there to do uh, any kind of crime, or you believe that your your life's in danger, then uh, you can you can use uh, reasonable force. Uh, if, like I said, if it's thirty minutes prior to sunset or 30 minutes after sunrise during that whole time period at night, lethal force is authorized to be used. Uh, my question is, you know, force, do you have any, you know, did God, people are going to swear to God, I'm a racist. Do you have any Asians that are neighbors? No. Okay. Well then you don't have to worry about some coming in making, making kitty McNuggets. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I would. Uh, that's definitely odd. That uh, a normal person, unless it's you know some punk kid that's being a pain in the ass, uh, wouldn't wouldn't normally do that. You know, like I said, a punk kid would just be a pain in the ass. But um, yeah, that's that's definitely an odd one. Um, uh, there was a. Um, God, how long ago was this? Uh, 15, 20 years ago in, uh, in the DFW area, uh, just, just kind of east of, of DFW. They had, uh, they had an incident where uh, they were having some really strange occurrences uh, to the degree where uh, they had a Great Dane. Uh, and the Great Dane wouldn't leave the house. Uh, absolutely would not leave the house. They had to drag him outside to go to the bathroom. Uh, and then he'd go to the bathroom, and then he'd jet right back in the house. And then some kids 
I guess mom and dad decided they were going to church and kids didn't want to go, or they went to town and kids didn't want to go, something to that effect. Um, and that's when they had a visitor coming in and he was looking in the windows, kind of chasing the kids around the inside of the house while it was outside. And it'd go to another window and it'd look all around and, and make all kinds of noise and a little bit of racket and uh, be real animated. And it had the kids all spooked, but they also had, you know, like chickens would be let out. Um, they had uh, cats had come up missing. And I, I think you're right. It probably could have been a juvenile that was being a pain in the ass. Um, just to, just to kind of see, uh, my understanding is, is that juveniles can be rather mischievous and they want to, they definitely want to, they want to get your attention where adults want to be really covert and stealth juveniles don't mind being noticed and juveniles will to a degree, unless you're invading their their sleeping territory or their nursery adults will leave you alone uh for the most part unless you end up being uh listed on the menu and that's a whole nother issue in its own right but uh i just read a report that happened in the 70s in michigan where uh I, you know kids were out camping uh one kid come up missing uh, they finally found him like two days later. He was really, uh, the, the kid wouldn't talk, basically refused to explain why he was missing for two or three days. Uh, and then they had a juvenile that was coming up into this people's barn and was playing with this one kid that was like 11 or 12 years old. Uh, even to the degree where the kid kind of, started pounding on his chest and I guess uh, the juvenile took it as an act of aggression and opened his mouth and bared his fangs. Um, and uh, I don't know how much of that story I believe, but it's uh, it is it pretty interesting how detailed it was uh, to the degree where it even talked about how the fangs are sheathed in the back of the mouth. And the only time they get displayed is when they open their mouth wide and it's back by the rear molars. Uh, and they, they unsheathe when they open their mouth up almost like a snake. Uh, and then they're displayed. What do you think about that Forrest? Well, I know exactly which incident, uh, he's referring to. That's the one that Bob Gimlin actually did, uh, 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 two podcasts on. And I think I sent that to Tom. Didn't I send that story to you, Tom? Because I ran across it, and I thought that was just about the most bizarre thing I'd ever heard. Not <clears throat> the sheathing, the the the, yeah. the sheathing of the the canines, because that is not that is not an, a thing a thing that uh, is that I have ever heard of and and seen in any type of primates. Not um, not no not in any type of mammal. Yeah, well, no, yes, uh, but, you know, it, just referring to strictly to primates, no, that does not happen. So uh, that is just bizarre. But, you know, 
like I keep saying all the time, you know, Bigfoot seems to be an enigma. And um, I can't even think of any ancient uh, hominids that uh, have ever exhibited that type of uh, sheathing of a canine and then coming from the back of the, the mouth and then coming forward. So that is bizarre. I mean, just nothing but bizarre. Yeah, hey. yeah. And, and canines are normally located towards the front of the mouth by the incisors. <laughs> Uh, yes, and, and they're they're used to, to uh, as an anchor point for for food or prey. Uh, hey, well, Forrest, I want to jump in real quick. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, j- some of our listeners are going to be wondering what does sheathing the canine to mean. Can you give a real quick explanation of that? Well, the way I understood the the way this gentleman explained it, it it actually uh, they were located in the very back, just like uh, what T.W. said behind the molars and they came out from like a pocket on the inside of the mouth and they were covered uh, unless they were exposed open and it it seemed like the mouth had to be opened really wide. Well, primates do that all the time. They will just make this wide open uh, mouth uh, towards each other and that will, and then kind of roll their lips back and that will expose their canines. And usually that's the extent of it. I mean, canine, I, I mean, Primates are just like any other mammal. They don't want to have an interaction in a fight because that's when they're, they're likely to be harmed or uh, injured. So at all possible costs, they want to just make a show of defiance, a show of uh, you know power, and they really don't want to have a lot of interaction. But they will do it if they have to. And I think, you know, we discussed this before, and I told you that canines uh, within primates, the females have have canines just like we do. They're not as uh, pronounced as with the males. But when the males' canines start coming in, it's when they reach sexual maturity. So basically, nature is uh, providing an instrument for these primates to be able to use, but they don't provide it until you are sexually mature. And I guess, hopefully, with the knowledge of how to use them and how to use them properly. Okay, so the so again, the canines would be behind the molars in the back of the mouth. Yes, that's the way I understood it, and they come out of a like a pocket of uh, skin. When the mouth comes open, then the canines uh, pop out and show. Uh, it, it, it's just, I mean, I have never heard of anything uh, like that. I guess ever. you'd have to wonder what the what the. Adv- I guess you'd have to wonder what the advantage of that would be in nature in a primate. <clears throat> right. Well, and and well, for reptiles, it's any time a fang is sheathed in reptiles, you know they're venomous. Um, because like, uh, constrictors, uh, the colubrids and colubrids can be really, that's a funky genus of, of serpent because you got colubrids that are non-venomous like, uh, say like a, um, like a python, they have no fang apparatus. They have no venom apparatus whatsoever. Um, they evolved greater into constriction. 
but you got uh, colubrids that are venomous, like boom slangs, uh, brown tree snakes, uh, western hognose snakes, and western hognose is mildly venomous. You, you, you're more apt to get a anaphylactic reaction than you are to get envenomated. Uh, even even garter snakes, believe it or not, garter snakes have a have a venom apparatus in their mouth, uh, in their rear fanged, but the the jawbone's so big that it doesn't allow the fang to be able to be sunk into anything to where they uh, they can inject venom. Unlike say pit vipers, vipers, uh, lapids. Um, they're all frontal fanged. Lapids are all fixed fanged, but vipers are retractable fanged, and those fangs are actually sheathed. And what happens is, is when the, the snake opens its mouth and has full gape, what they call a full gape, the fangs, the, the mouth actually spreads out almost into a like a rectangle, and that's when the fangs get exposed. And... They're, they're designed that because the mouth is almost greater than 100, 180 degree open, that the fangs actually get, because fangs are curved, instead of hitting that curve and, and folding them back up in their mouth, it it's designed to where when they bite, the point makes contact first. And as they try to close then it sinks in like hypodermic needles. Uh, but there is a sheathing. If you, uh, you can pull it up on YouTube, uh, the, the dynamics of a, of a rattlesnake strike, and it'll show you that, that full mouth gape where the fangs are almost vertical out in front. And the point makes contact first, not the not the bend of the the fang itself. But you can tell that the, the, the those fangs are sheathed. Hmm. Well, very interesting. T W. Well, oh, I'm sorry. That would have to represent. Well, I was just going to say that have to represent a very ancient uh, retention, going back to reptilian uh, ancestry. I mean it. it course i mean if you believe in evolution at one point in time we we uh our you know mammals actually evolved from uh the reptiles because that was the first uh, animals to develop that and uh amphibians and and fish T.W. so that would represent a, a distinct <laughs> uh retention of ancient ancient Right, right. T.W., do you, do you have anything new going on in your area? We haven't had you on for a while. Oh, not well. I'm in a new area, but I did. Me and my <laughs> wife went. It's not here. Um, believe it or not, of all places, it's Powhuska, Oklahoma. Um, and uh, took the kids on vacation. And, you know, inevitably, you always... If you're interested in the subject matter, your eyes are wide open for the the strange and unusual. And we went to the Ben Johnson Museum and uh, started seeing stickers, you know, 
hanging with the neighbors. You see a, a silhouette of Sasquatch and got to talking to folks. And, and uh, lo and behold, they've been having, it's nothing new to them there. <laughs> it's, it's just not. Uh, Palhuska lays in the bottom of, next to the, uh, next to a river. There's a, I mean, you come off the plateau and you drive down into the town. It's down in the lower part of the, it's next to the river. So it's down off the plateau and down into a lower part. Uh, and there's such a, a drastic temperature change from going off the plateau, uh, down into town. It's like a 20 degree difference. Uh, but got to talk to folks and they've, they've had, uh, they've had encounters for years and that's, it's like I said, that's, that's where the Osage Indian reservation is. And they've, they've just taken it as a matter of fact, where they've had encounters in the middle of the day, in the middle of town. And it's, it's just a weird area. I'm like, wow, we got a new hot spot. So, uh, yeah, my wife got kind of mad at me cause I was, you know, talking to one of the cops that's there and he started telling me, Oh Jesus Christ, here we go again. So <laughs> I'm like, Hey, you know, once you get into this, it's, uh, it, it's, it's like cocaine. Once you're addicted, you don't want to ever give it up. So it's like, you know, it's either that or get it, get into cocaine. You take your pick there, D. So uh, she's like, well, it's definitely cheaper than cocaine. And I said, well, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you what I spent money on. <laughs> 14 salt blocks at one point. <laughs> and here I thought horses were the most expensive addiction. Uh, they can be. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, uh, well, well, knows that whole story about the fourteen salt blocks. But oh yeah, uh, yep. <laughs> well, let's hear it. I don't know about it, and our uh, our audience would love no, no, to hear we'll, about. We'll, we'll 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 keep that one for us, Tom. Okay. Well, we'll all right. We're going to take a pass. I do need to ask Forrest a question because Angelina wrote this way back on the 4th, and and it's a good question. She wants to know, what do you mean there was a figure eight at Forrest's house? We've heard this a couple times, but it doesn't explain it. So, Forrest, can you give an explanation? What does the figure eight almost give like a bird's eye view and an explanation? Okay. Um, well, you know, I sent you all those pictures. Did y'all ever post those pictures? Maybe people could actually look at those and they could get an idea. Um, um, I have yeah, not posted the pictures. Um, but anyway, yeah, explain. Yeah, what's... Okay. Um, well, you certainly have my permission to do so. Uh, let me explain that. Back when I was having this uh, high fence put up around my yard, it's a high tensile uh, close knit wire that goes around the house so that the cats can't get out of the fence and I was hoping to prevent anything else from getting in the fence um, because of the height of it. The man that was doing the fencing 
uh, was using a bulldozer to clear out that cedar over there to the west of the end of the house. And now, <clears throat> I <laughs> he comes and knocks on my door uh, and says, you need to come out and look at this. Well, it just so happened that that same at that point in time, uh, Sherry and Sam were here as well. So uh, um, they saw us looking at this, and they ended up wandering over, and that's when we actually had to send Sam in uh, because there's a line of cedars between uh, the house, the fence, and then where this circle, these circles were um, that prevented me from actually being able to see it. And you've se- I've sent you pictures on showing you how thick that, that cedar is in there. That you, it's just black. You can't see in there. So we all walk over there and we're sticking our heads through there. And of course I couldn't bend down because this was just right after I'd had my spinal surgery. So I couldn't bend over and crawl in there, but Sam did, but I could see them. And it was two circles, large circles. And they were probably about three feet wide, the paths in there. And I'm talking perfect circles and they were connected to each other. And then on the north end of the one, the north end of the circle, the first circle of this figure eight on the north side, there was a path going off through the cedars towards the, my tank. Now, when I say a tank, that's what we've referred to here in Texas as a, a pond. Um, man-made water structure. Yes, it's a man-made water structure. And this tank has been there for God, since I was a little girl, it was, uh, you know, constructed back uh, <laughs> way too many years ago, probably 100 years ago. And um, so there's a path going off to that directly, directly to that tank. And then on the uh, south side of the, the, the other circle is another path going off through the, the cedars to the front of my property and we actually followed it and it went up and it had a place where something had been going over the fence and then going across the road into a uh, post Oak ranch across from us. <clears throat> so these circles are about three foot wide. You can see, I mean, they are perfectly, they are cleared out. Something's been going around and around. And in fact, the guy that was doing the clearing, not knowing anything about, the problems that I'd been having with our hairy friends. He said, something's been back here or somebody's been back here just pacing and pacing and pacing. And, and that was pretty evident. And right in the middle of each one of these circles was a growth of cedar. So they'd been going around and around and around and these perfect pathways. And then these pathways to the North and to the South coming off of these circles. So that was right behind where I used to have Cagney's kennel. And the other thing that, and I think I told you, Tom, about this, that we, when we were started tearing all the wire and stuff down where his kennel was, I had noticed that that dog had dug a tunnel into the dirt where he could go down and, and it went, it went down and then it went sideways. So he had built him a little cave he could get 
into under the ground. You think he was doing and that to hide? I think he was. And, yeah. you know, I told you that dog barked all the time. And now he has, and you've seen that picture of that kennel that I bought. And I'm telling you, uh, he's directly across from my back porch. He can see me when I come in and out. Uh, that dog only barks when he needs to now. I mean, he, it's not an, I mean, before he was just barking all the time. It was just an incessant chorus of barks back there all the time. And I, I just, you know what? I really feel badly because I think that, I think of what that poor dog must have gone through, the stress he must have gone through back there. Um, so well, that's not the first time. <clears throat> no, I, I just want to say real quick, that's not the first time I've heard of dogs digging a, like a hideaway. Uh, we had a guy on a while back, probably about three years ago, a gentleman named Lee, and he had a guy, he had a big problem, no, no pun intended, but they had a problem with these things on their property. The guy across the street from him, I think he also had a Belgian melon wall. He had, a, he had I, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. It was a uh, guard dog. And that dog had done the same thing. It had gone underneath the deck, which I think it had very low clearance, but it had dug a circle about two feet into the where he could just like hide and just get as far away from, you know, these creatures as possible. So that's, that's interesting. That's the second time I've heard this. Well, evidently dogs have better sense, I guess, than we do because, uh, they, they have a great fear of them. Uh, um, that, that Cagney is a black German shepherd and he just, he, I just, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here stuttering. I, it just, it makes me, it really makes me feel badly because uh, I can't imagine what he was putting up with back there. And oh, the German uh, Shepherd they, was the one that dug the hole. Yeah. Uh-huh. My, oh, okay, okay. my Belgian Malinois, she stays in the house with me all the time. Gotcha. She is in the, in the house all the time with me. You know, if Cagney was in here, I wouldn't have any furniture left, so. Um. <laughs> well, the, the, there's not there's there's several reports where I mean even even I took down a report where a dog was torn in half right in front of its owners, and the both halves were thrown at them. Oh my! Uh, T.W., can you give us a quick synopsis? Uh, yeah, tell it's a, uh, tell us the story. Uh, basically what had happened was it was in the area where a friend of mine had gotten attacked. Um, and it was, you know, it was one of his distant neighbors. Um, uh, and the dogs were, you know, they were having stuff coming up missing and the dogs were, they were out walking and the dog went into the undergrowth, uh, just going hell bent for election raising hell. And then all of a sudden it was that. You know a bark of terror when you hear it. It's there's no other there's no other sound a dog produces that even compares to when you know that that dog's in, in mortal fear. Well, at one point uh, the dog yelped, and this thing stood up and had the dog and just ripped the dog in half and threw oh. both 
represent the owners. And this is and, a big dog, right? Yeah, this was uh this was a mastiff. So this wasn't a small dog. Uh or a mastiff mix. Uh they called me up. Uh it was right at dusk. Uh I show up. Uh the sheriff's office was there. Uh, the forestry service was there, uh, and my understanding they've they've long since moved moved from that area. But basically, the, the just like a buddy of mine, his land come up uh, mysteriously. It was sold all of a sudden. Uh, that land now belongs to the BLM. So. And, uh, you know, poor Johnny, he, he wakes up in the middle of the night and he gets trounced on in his own, in his own house. Uh, and that was after he sprayed one down with a garden hose. So, uh, you know, that was, uh, uh, it, it, they're definitely, I, I agree with Forrest, they're such an enigma. Uh, they're so contrary to what, like most primates outside of chimpanzees aren't vindictive. Chimpanzees can get vindictive. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Western lowland and, and mountain gorillas don't get vindictive. They just don't want anything to do with you. Uh, and if they're, if they're really pissed off at you, they'll trounce on you right then and then they leave you alone. It's over with. Uh, orangutans aren't vindictive. Uh, if if you mistreat an orangutan, they just won't have anything to do with you. Uh, but uh, these things are very vindictive, and they almost like they they plan stuff out. Uh, I can't tell you the number of reports I've read where people have been followed for miles to the degree where they followed them all the way home. Uh, and, uh, even, uh, even reports that I've taken myself that, uh, a lady in West Texas, uh, had goats show up dead on her, on her property or, you know, her kids livestock, uh, a feed room door where the door was bent down at the corner where it got it got a grasp into the the feed room door and, and folded that that corner of that door down still couldn't get to the feed but they were going through feed like nobody's business and the lady couldn't figure out you know we're feeding these goats and these horses and this all these cattle in the sheep they shouldn't be going through this much feed a week you know, she'd buy enough for a month and it'd be gone within a week. Uh, and they locked up the feed room door uh, with a padlock in order for it to get in. It got its hand in the corner of that door and folded the door down. Still couldn't get to the feed. And then they started getting like they had goats that, that uh, I'd sent Will some pictures of that. That was unbelievably eerie that she had just walked in that area, had come back to her house, walked out, and there's a goat not more than 
a little more than a hundred yards from her house where the front leg was ripped off and reached into the cavity of the, of the goat and removed, you know, vital organs. You know, TW, there was a story I was reading. Um, it goes back to 1943 where a 10 year old boy related the story many years later. Um, and I want to say it was Georgia of almost exactly the same thing. They were killing, uh, what was it, Tom? It was calves and I can't remember the other animals. Might have been goats or sheep. Yeah. But, but you know. But they were ripping one limb off and let, letting them die like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, an, it's like T.W. said. Their behavior is almost totally unique. I think it is completely unique to them. To You really don't have any parallel that I know of. In the in uh, you know in the primate world, these things are just really strange and bizarre in some ways. But I did have a question um, for Forrest on the vindictiveness of primates and chimps. Can you kind of elaborate what you know on that? Well, <laughs> are you talking about personal experience? Um, well, um, <laughs> your 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 expertise, yes. Well, my personal experience was because at the time, and it was ignorance on my part, that I didn't know that uh, you don't go into a group of chimpanzees. And then this was actually in a lab situation. Um, and I walked into the enclosure and uh, they had, uh, we were feeding them and I, nobody had, and I didn't know it either at the time, dumb me, that uh, you don't feed the subordinate uh, chimps before you uh, feed the dominant the alpha ones and even in uh two-year-old males that uh, they had these in in the enclosure uh they form uh hierarchies and they're very rapidly you know who the uh big guy is and who's the dominant and i was feeding the uh, uh subordinates before i fed the alpha and uh, i paid the price because uh, uh he came over and chomped me on the bicep and i still have uh um scars on the upper portion of my bicep where he <clears throat> planted his uh, teeth in me. So, um, but there, that one incident that they had that happened in Africa uh, is the one that comes to my mind uh, most prevalently is that um, they had a group of former lab chimps and former pet chimps that had been released back into the, the wild and, the situation was that it was actually enclosed, um, a forest situation that it was actually fenced and enclosed so that they would be safe. They wouldn't have to be interacting with feral and wild chimpanzees. Um, but every one of these chimps carried scars from being, uh, pets, abused pets and lab animals. And I, I'm sorry to say, uh, I, I, have, I am one of these uh, anthropologists that truly believes that primates should not be used for medical testing. I'm sorry. That's just the way I feel. There's a lot of people that will differ with me, but that's the way I feel. They're too, that's like testing on humans. If you want to do that, then go test on people that are on death row. But uh, anyway, these lab animals had been tested on, and they are abused, and they are put under horrible, horrible situations. And because they're primates, these animals carry a memory 
of all this abuse. And so here are these animals that are in this, uh, you know, enclosure, supposedly being provided with a new and wonderful life. Well, there were some um, scientists that were working on some, doing some research, and I'll, I'll be honest, I don't remember exactly what they were doing there, but uh, somebody had suggested that they go over and uh, visit this uh, uh, chimpanzee rescue area. So they go over there, and they go into the, the enclosure, and they were attacked. And um, what ended up happening was, and uh, Brutus was the leader of the pack, and evidently he was just that. He was a brute. And these, I don't remember, there was two or three of these visitors that were absolutely horribly uh, attacked. And I mean, when a chimpanzee attacks, they usually go for the face and for the groin area on men. And uh, these guys were brutally attacked. And as it turned out, most of the chimps were coerced back into the sanctuary. However, once once Brutus and his gang of subordinates had a taste of freedom, they actually decided that they weren't going back in there. And to this day, they live in the wild and they have actually formed a group in the wild. And uh, Brutus, of course, is still the alpha male of the group. But primates, especially chimpanzees, remember those horrible things that are done to them. And, you know, just like people, they have long memories. And they take, they take, they are very vindictive, very vindictive. That was my, that was my next question. My question is, do they take action? How do they do? And, you know, do they take it on the person that, you know, caused them harm? Or are they just vindictive to anybody? I think they're vindictive to anybody. Yeah. Oh, they're, I don't they're think horribly. it really, at that point in time, if you don't have the person that did it to you, uh, any human will work. You know, as far as they're concerned. <laughs> well, that's the reason I ask is because that's kind of a situation oftentimes with uh, with Bigfoot that we hear of. Will had a situation in Yakult. Somebody had gone in. They did something very inappropriate. They they fed him the wrong thing. And they actually took it, took it out on Will. Wasn't it a, an adjacent farm? They yeah. just tore it to pieces. Yeah, they went to the adjacent farm and tore the garden up. They were they were really ticked off. Yeah, it's, I mean, while there's, I mean, it's, uh, if, uh, if you read the story about Chipnomsky, uh, which was a study animal that uh, Dr. Nomsky had used for years, uh, the, the woman that raised him from infancy to, I think he's like two years old, she went to visit him. And he attacked her. And I was like, how dare you come see me now after all these years? Wow. You know, and it was kind of, they really, it was a, it was a, and that's a, it's more of a cautionary tale of how we treat our closest relatives. Uh, 
I don't necessarily disagree with with Forrest, but I don't necessarily agree either. Uh, as far as medical research, we just don't have any uh, better alternatives. Um, and that's, it's sad. It's kind of like, uh, I was, an, I, I'm a, I'm an advocate for the slaughterhouses for horses, not because I, I, trust me, I grew up on a racehorse farm. Uh, no greater sin could be committed by man than to take his closest beast of burden that helped settle the U.S., helped him raise crops, helped him get from point A to point B, uh, than to to use them as food. Uh, and even it, you know, if you're religious and you read the Book of Leviticus, it, it point blank says it's it's a sin to eat a horse. But the flip side to that is, is who's going to pay for all the, the, you know, the preventative care that they need to have? Who's going to pay for the hay and the feed to feed them? Who's going to provide, uh, who's going to provide the money for preventative, uh, you know, health maintenance? You know, who's going to pay the vet? Who's going to pay the farrier? Uh, so, you know, for some horses, uh, the slaughterhouse is, as sad as it may be, a very dignified end to a very miserable existence. Um, and it breaks my heart, to, you know, that people actually use that as an alternative. Or there, there was actual farms out in Texas that would raise horses for slaughter. That was their whole function of existence. Uh, what was the purpose? They, they they make glue out of them, or is it for feed, or no, they go dog to food, human human oh. food source consumption. Uh, you go to Europe, horse meat is uh, uh, you know you go to a butcher in say in France. If they got a head of a horse outside their building, they're not they're not selling cow in that butcher shop. They're selling caballé, which is horse meat. Okay, so, well, I've never had horse meat. I don't think I will. <laughs> That's just <laughs> my opinion. Yeah, I, I tell you one of the saddest things that, of course, now, CW, you're going to probably get mad at me because I'm totally opposed to, uh, uh, to slaughtering horses. You send them to Mexico. They don't have a dignified end. I have seen some film footage that absolutely made me to the point of throwing up uh, that I had to stop because I couldn't even make it through it. That And uh, that was my point. That was why it was because uh, when I was a, a cop in Salina, uh, there was only three slaughterhouse plants in the U.S. Uh, Joliet, Illinois, and two in Texas. Uh, yeah. Crown and Beltex. And my, my point was, uh, to, uh, some senators is like, look, here's the problem. When cow flesh goes down, horse flesh goes up. So you can almost guarantee that horse theft is going to be on the rise. There was no better way to track an animal or recover an animal that had been stolen than you had a a 66% chance it was going to go to Texas. And you could recover the animal. 
and they were within 80 miles of each other, both plants. Uh, w, you, go ahead. Well, go ahead and finish that, but I, I, I have an absolute interesting question regarding horses or livestock in general and these creatures. Oh, you don't want to know that one. Uh, well, I, I do because we have a situation in Oregon where we have what appears to be cattle that are taken a few miles from local farms and ranches, and you just find them up in the Cascade Mountains. It's it's not where they yeah. just wander up there, and it's not people taking them up there. Well, that's just it. That's I mean, there was... Uh, my very first encounter was I was I was 13 years old and went and visited my aunt at uh, Lone Star Lake area, which is uh, central North Texas. Um, and we're, you know, the, the, the long and short of it is it was me, my brother and my my cousin Forrest. And we're, you know trutsing down to the to the dam where the lake is we're gonna go gig for frogs it's the middle of the night it's a full moon uh we passed a couple of pastures uh one was actually a peach orchard uh we get to the last pasture before you you get to the to the dam area and there's a bunch of cattle in there they're just all raising hell well that's when Forrest actually noticed something crouching down along the fence line on the, the right-hand side of us uh, next to the fence. And when we all stopped, that's when it stood up. And we didn't see any detail, but we could tell it was it was about seven, seven and a half feet tall. Uh, pretty muscular build, pretty, pretty wide at the chest. But... Uh, you could you could tell it was covered in hair, and it followed us all the way back to the where the the road teed off going towards the dam, and there was an old general store there with a with a street lamp. And once we got within a hundred yards of that store, that's when it cut across into the into the peach orchard. Well, the next morning uh, we get woke up by a deputy sheriff. You know, he come to the house woke my woke my niece or my niece my aunt up. Uh, and my aunt, uh, Karen's like, yeah, I'll get the boys up. And they're asking us all kinds of questions. Like, no, we didn't see them come to find out. Uh, they had found several dead steers in that pasture with their necks snapped. And some of them were missing eyeballs. Some of them were missing internal organs. Like they'd been gutted right there. So it's uh, yeah they'll 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 go after livestock. Okay, real quick, well, I got two follow up questions. Number one, you said they followed you. Were you guys on foot or riding bikes or? No, we were on foot, <laughs> and we were walking backwards. That's what was so bad. It was in the middle of the night. We're talking. This is this is Texas in the summertime, so you got to worry about several things. Uh, you got to worry about rattlesnakes you got to worry about water moccasins we were close to a water source uh you had to worry about all the other creatures that that you know feral hogs uh even then feral hogs was an issue um 
uh, you had to worry about dogs. And we're not watching where the hell we're going. We're just walking backwards because this thing's following us. And so I'm, got, I'm just guessing your anxiety level is pretty high at this point. Dude, it's one of those fruit loom changing moments. <laughs> <laughs> and, and let me tell you, my chonies were pretty well damn near loaded. <laughs> <laughs> Milo, what do you think? We haven't heard from you yet. Well, you know, when I was, I don't know if this is relevant because this was when I was in Kosovo, but you know, when you were talking about horses and everything getting slaughtered over there, they don't even look at it like we do here, I guess. It it was a matter of either it's uh, used until it's useful. It's kind of like slavery, I guess. They use it until it's done and then it's gone. Well, that's just it. You know, that's it's a whole different mindset. You know, yeah. as I do. You know, being uh, being uh, in foreign nations, that's like uh, camels in uh, in the Middle East. Uh, they're beasts of burden, but they're also food. Yeah, well, you know, I know. That, that camel hits its peak usability status. Well, you, you know, we got one last use for you. Guess what? We're gonna <laughs> turn you into steaks. And they do. It's I I saw it. And, yeah. and what was interesting is like the, the bull or the alpha camel, whatever you want to call it, they, they tie them up so they don't travel. Their, their, their stride is cut like into a third because they're, they, they just leash their front legs where they can't really travel that far. And it just keeps everybody in arm's length and they can just hurt them that way, which yeah. was, you know, I thought was ingenious i was like wow that's pretty cool you know but at the same time i was like man they're we're the only nation that thinks like the way we do and we think everybody else does but no one else really does well yeah and that's i mean but you know when, when we're talking about uh livestock that's our livelihood but bigfoot doesn't kind of look at it that way they're like oh he brought us snacks <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that was tw that's my other question is i just want to be clear the ones that were mutilated out in this pasture i'm i'm assuming these mutilations would not be like the quote-unquote ufo type mutilations oh, oh you can tell that there, was, that there was definite uh uh force that like extracting the eyeballs there was force used like the tear ducts were torn and uh, yeah. the the belly was ripped open, not cut. Um, and then, you know, one of the funny things about that whole thing was, is that shortly after we had left there and come back home, uh, my dad had got a call from my aunt Karen and she was, she was moving back. Um, and my aunt Karen was going through a pretty bad divorce at that time. That's why she ended up at, at uh, that area of Texas. Uh, and he gets off the phone and he said, uh, Aunt Karen's moved back and, you know, we're sitting there talking at the dinner table and that's when he, you know, he enlightened us what had happened. The neighbor that was at the end of that peach orchard, uh, he raised, uh, he raised some of the, some of the top coon hounds in the area. Uh, 
uh, he, I mean, he'd have full page ads and full cry, which is a, you know, a, a, a coonhound magazine for people that raise coonhounds. Uh, and, uh, he had had a, 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 a litter of puppies that all come up missing. So they're not, I mean, they're really not discriminatory about what they eat as far as, you know, they'll go after livestock, they'll go after dogs. Uh, There's several reports where they've they've gone after dogs, uh, pulling them through uh, out of their dog houses because they're they're cowering in their dog houses and they'll grab a hold of that chain and pull them out and kill them right there. And then all you have oh, yeah. left is a chain and a collar. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's brutal. It's a, they're brutal creatures. One other question I had TW was, um, you said a deputy came in and talked to you guys. What, what was the reason? How did he know that you had been there and may have seen something? Because we had, uh, we, uh, when we got, we got back to that, that general store, we were beaten for all our worth on that door to the owners because the house was right behind that old general store. Uh, and we were beaten on that door. You know, let us in, let us in, let us in. Uh, we need to use your phone. And that's when we called my Aunt Karen. She come picked us up. And we weren't, honestly, we weren't that far from, from my Aunt Karen and Cousin Forrest's house. We really weren't. We were probably less than a mile away. Uh, but uh, <laughs> well, with like, those things around, yeah, that's a mile too. Yeah. You know, if, if, where there's one, there's more. So, uh, that was our attitude. Uh, and, and really our, our whole attitude was, is that, uh, it's kind of like the best way to equate it is, is that you run into something that you have no basis, uh, in known zoology to place that animal. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Here you are, you're 13-year-old kids, and you see this thing, and you got to be going, what the heck am I well, seeing? Well, my cousin Forrest, you know, he wouldn't sleep for a couple of months. I mean, he was he was in rough shape over it. Uh, he, he would he'd lay awake at night just uh, shaking like a dog passing razor blades. Uh, even my cousin, uh, even my brother, Gerald Lee was the same way. Uh, he would have nightmares about it. Um, I kind of, at first I was thinking it was probably some, some really tall guy that was trying to wig us out. Um, and then there was, uh, another story that my aunt had told us about a mother that had broke down just outside of town. Um, uh, Ran out of gas, so the car broke down. It was just her and her little boy. And uh, they were walking into town to get help. And one of these creatures had started chasing them. She ended up getting knocked out. And this kid, they found the kid in a, in a drainage culvert uh, way up in that pipe. And his, his feet were just tore up. This thing had chased him clear to that drainage pipe. And you, you, people don't realize how dangerous that is to, to crawl into those things. Oh, I was just going to say, who knows what's in that thing? That's just it. You know, it, 
it's not unusual to see water moccasins and rattlesnakes in those things. Yeah. Uh, that's what if I, this kid was tightening. Jeez. You know, TW, this is all stuff straight out of X-Files. You got to wonder. I mean, this is just bizarre. And do... I would think the authorities, the local authorities, would certainly be aware of these things. That's how Reacher was born. So Okay. Uh, Let's hear about Reacher. What does Reacher know about this? Well, it, yeah, I can tell you... It, it, Jack is is uh, he's an unusual cat. Uh, besides the fact of sleeping with my ex-wife uh, and wishing that somebody would tie him to a tree and start wood knocking, uh, <laughs> you know, Reacher's. Uh, we served together in fifth group. Uh, Reacher's attitude is is this. Um, they are TW. This is fascinating. I love having you on the show and hearing your experiences and your stories. Um, and we've heard several of them, you know, more than once, and they never change. It's always exactly the same. Very fascinating. And I got uh, I got tickled here not long ago. Me and Will was laughing about it here a couple weeks ago. We were talking about it. Uh, I got, there's another group out there. I won't mention any names. Um, uh, and Will was, was somewhat involved where I got lumped in with this group of people. And I'm like, wait a minute. How the hell did I get lumped in with these guys? Um, I'm on Will's side. What the hell? So, uh, funny thing was is that, uh, you know, it, it was on Read It. And uh, I think the, the post has long since been tore down. But uh, one guy kept saying, he's in with those people. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> My allegiance is to Will, not to... Not to that schmuck. So, um, you know, don't, don't be lucky before you start running your guns on stuff. You're not truly versed in. Don't be, uh, don't be lumping me with somebody that, that I think is something's not right. Um, and I have nothing to do with that other guy. I only talked to him once. Uh, uh, do I think that 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 group is all of what it it? No, I think that they're they seen an avenue to make money. I'm not making any money off of this. I I know damn good and well Will isn't. Uh, well, that's you know that's Reddit for you though. That's the the internet. There they they love to do that. Hey, we're gonna uh, we're running short on time, uh, so I'm gonna do a little quick roundtable here. And um, get any final thoughts from everybody? Um, TW, any final thoughts? Yeah, don't don't put your head in the sand here on this subject matter. Uh, you don't have to take my word for gospel or uh, open your eyes. Start reading yep. some of the 
you know, the encounters people have. Uh, you got to remember that, you know, people are human. Their, their memories can be flawed. Uh, but in the same token, if they're, if they're sincere and they're genuine, you're going to see that right off the bat. Uh, especially on multiple tellings of the same same encounter, you're going to see that right off the bat. That's exactly uh, right. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, people just don't see stuff in the woods that, that can't be explained. Uh, and, and when you're looking at it from, you know, even from my perspective as a, as a, a Texas peace officer, uh, it, it's not just the Bubba that's saying this. You got cops that are saying it. You got firefighters that have witnessed stuff. You got lawyers. You've got doctors. People where their credibility is paramount. It means everything to them. And Absolutely. when they're saying the same thing, uh, service members, they, they see the same thing. Uh, they experience the same type of of experiences that other people have experienced. Now they're not, they're not identical to the last guy, but that's when you got to kind of, you know, not, I don't want to use pick and choose, but you got to kind of dissect their, their, what they're telling you. Well, and, I, I agree. And, and there's the repeating patterns that we see over and over again. And there's, there's one other group of professionals out there that we we don't want to exclude and that's uh, archaeologists and anthropologists <laughs> so with that Forrest any final thoughts well you know I always joke and you guys heard me say this before that uh, I always my lifetime dream was that I was going to go out and find Bigfoot well I didn't have to find Bigfoot Bigfoot found me um, I uh, majored in archaeology and anthropology <laughs> And um, I never thought that I would, at the age of uh, 21 or 24, uh, that I would end up in a situation like I am now with them, uh, sometimes on a daily basis around here. Um, but um, it certainly uh, makes for an interesting, um, uh, sometimes night, but uh, um, it, it, uh, I digress here. Um, I certainly enjoy talking to uh, T.W. because he certainly puts a new perspective and spin on things uh, coming from his side of the fence. And uh, as usual, I thoroughly enjoy our discussions. And I hope I provide some sort of intelligent enlightenment. <laughs> Absolutely. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. All right. Will, what are your thoughts? Well, it's all very interesting. I was curious what Milo had to think. Well, um, I definitely got two things. When we were talking about vindictiveness, when like if you, like when you fed the subordinate uh, chimpanzees and stuff, is there retribution from the alpha to that uh, uh, chimpanzee, the subordinate that you fed, kind of thing? I mean, do they oh, look yeah. at them and say, "Oh, I'm going to get you for that"? Oh yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, they won't sometimes do it right there and then immediately uh, they will go after them uh later and and i'm telling you you see that uh not only in chimpanzees but you uh see that in uh, 
uh, macaques as well that uh, they'll wait for an opportune time wow. and then they will uh, they will attack them. Very and, uh, yeah. Wow. Okay, so that that was a big thing I was going to get to with that was because I was like, okay, well they beat up on the person who did it. Now they're going. How do they see that? Who they? That's like a disloyalty thing, isn't it? Well, there's a, a strict hierarchy. A lot of people don't know this in, in primate societies, and I mean this is across the board. There is a strict hierarchy. Um, you know, like with gorillas, they're they're more complacent about it. You know, they may go and uh, physically beat up on a guy, but they don't carry it to the extent of, uh, you know, uh, being lethal about it. Chimpanzees, and I'm talking about the pan troglodytes. I'm talking about chimpanzees. We don't know enough about the billy apes to even make a comment about them, except that they're considered to be the lion killers. So I would suggest that their society is basically just like can troglodytes and uh, probably even to a worse degree your bonobo uh you know i've said this before bonobo uh they are the lesser chimps and they are smaller chimps they are nice guys i mean they settle everything with sex it's all about sex with them and everybody's happy 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 all the time yeah make love um, not war yeah make love not war uh but Chimpanzees, uh, they they will carry things to. Uh, and in fact, I I think I had brought this up once before about a video that we had to watch in college of a male chimp that had once upon a time been the alpha of a group, and he had been. I mean, they can get pretty bad, you know, and uh, setting the subordinates uh, out at a you know setting them straight. And then he had been um, replaced with another alpha. And this one was even worse than him. But they watched that old alpha, and he just got older and older and older. And at some point in time, when they, when that younger one that had replaced him realized that, oh, I can take this guy out now. And he's got his little gang of subordinates that, uh, now, granted, these guys are always watching him for any failure that he might make or any weakness that he might have so that they could replace him. Oh, they're happy to replace him at any point in time, but as long as they cannot do that, they're happy to be the subordinates because they're going to get, there's going to be favoritism shown to those guys. So, and this works. I mean, chimpanzees, it's very evident, but it occurs in macaque societies as well. They ended up getting and ganging up on this old male and they literally beat him to death. And I mean, they beat him with sticks, they pummeled him with their fists, and they literally beat that male to death. And they just left him. And then the group moved on like nothing had ever happened. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Vindictiveness is alive and well within the chimpanzees. And I think it's probably, uh, and I've said this before, I think that I, I think that uh, the hierarchy within the Bigfoot society is very, very similar to that in the, uh, you know, pantroglodytes, the, the common chimp. Yeah, I think you're right about Amazing. that, Forrest. All right, everyone, we're going to wrap this session. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And if you're on YouTube, be sure to, you know, like the show and become a subscriber. And we'll talk to everybody on the next show. In Bigfoot history, 
Warm Springs Reservation, Oregon, Fall 1967. Clyde Staley, Portland, told John Furman that a road contractor had told him giant human-like tracks had been seen near Trout Lake and photographed by a deputy from the sheriff's office on the reservation. John called at the deputy's home and was told by his wife that she had heard about the tracks and also of a trailer being violently shoved. However, the sheriff did not answer John's letter. Bigfoot Lore Alive in Estacada Area, Clackamas County, Oregon. Long History of Alleged Encounters in Estacada by Vanessa Von Voris for the Estacada News, October 1, 2008. While hiking along the snowy banks of the Clackamas River late one January afternoon in 1969, Millie Kiggins of Estacada, her husband, and their friend Art Schneider found something that would thrust the Kiggins and the quiet wilderness surrounding Estacada into an international spotlight. We went to look at a Forest Service cabin up above Squaw Lake on the way to Cold Springs about 20 miles from Estacada, Kiggins said. They were going to sell them, and we wanted to look at them. We started out late, and we were in about three feet of snow. There was a gate, and we couldn't get through. So we started to walk, and it looked like somebody had already gotten through because there were tracks in the snow. They noticed the large size of the tracks and their depth. They were 18 inches deep, she said. Whatever had made them was heavy, because ours were a couple inches deep. It had to have been walking on two feet, and its stride was 67 inches. The path of the tracks was in an unusually straight line, too straight to be man-made footprints, she said. The hikers followed the imprints for about a quarter mile before they realized it was getting late and decided to turn back. Before leaving, Kiggins documented their discovery with a photograph and contacted the U.S. Forest Service. They said it was a snowshoe rabbit. I have no idea what it was, but if it was a rabbit, it would have to be a big one to make prints that big. I told them if it was a snowshoe rabbit, they had better look out because it's big enough to eat them, she said. Back at home on their farm, on the outskirts of Estacada, the Kigginses began to experience a series of Bigfoot-like phenomena. He was around here for a year, she said. We found footprints all over the farm. Once they led to a five-foot fence and continued on the other side uninterrupted, as if he stepped right over it. Sometimes we would smell him. Smelled like a bad nursing home. We heard loud screams and grunts all at once, lasting ten or fifteen seconds. It could be heard miles away. The hair on the back of your neck would stand up. It spooked the cattle. Kiggins sent a copy of her picture to Bigfoot hunter John Green, who later visited her with Roger Patterson, famous for the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot film footage from 1967. KATU interviewed her, and she was included in a British television documentary. Her photograph was published in a book written by a wildlife biologist and in a fifth-grade textbook. During the early 1970s, Estacada became a hotspot for Bigfoot enthusiasts. Scientists, hunters, trappers, and the media came from throughout the country and across the sea in the hope of gathering evidence of the existence of an elusive, shadowy creature that walks the forest on two legs. Many of the Bigfoot hunters also came looking for Kiggins. Eventually, the Estacada Police Department, back when Estacada had one, helped put a stop to it. We had all sorts of crackpots up here, she said, 
and I guess I'm one of them because I saw the tracks, but I can't help that. For anonymous first-hand accounts of Bigfoot phenomena, enthusiasts can now peruse the databases of websites such as OregonBigfoot.com and BigfootEncounters.com that collectively contain approximately 40 reports for the Estacada area alone between 1912 and 2006. A U.S. Forest Service employee, who does not wish to be identified, said she has never taken a single Bigfoot report in the 12 years she has worked at the desk of the Clackamas River Ranger District Office in Estacada. We don't have a book or a piece of paper that states sightings at all, she said. She refused to comment further for fear she would, quote, get in trouble again, unquote. There was at least one highly photographed, easily accessible Bigfoot in Estacada, a menacing replica created by a chainsaw artist. It guards the entrance to Mike's second-hand store and holds a sign warning potential shoplifters they will be eaten. I've heard second- or third-hand stories, store owner Mike Doolittle said. I would think that if there was a Bigfoot, I would have heard about it on the 6 o'clock news. I know Santa Claus is real because I've seen him. I've never seen a Bigfoot. Kiggins has never seen Bigfoot either, and she is careful to emphasize that she is not exactly sure what created the strange tracks, the spooky sounds, or the awful smell. Although nearly 40 years have passed since she photographed the tracks in the snow, she still gets correspondence from Bigfoot enthusiasts. I recently got a letter from a guy in England who wants to know about it, she laughed. I don't know if I'm going to write back. It might be just another crackpot. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open out there.